And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Heron. On the phone, we have a gentleman who grew up in Minnesota, went and played college at South Dakota State, was a member of the Miami Dolphins and Minnesota Vikings pro football famer Jim Langer. Minnesota football in college was big time in the early 60s, winning a national championship. Did you want to play your college ball in Minnesota? Well, I, I played high school football in a town of 500 people. And uh, if you ran an out pattern in the end zone, you ran into the Platte River. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the end zones I played in were partial cornfields. And uh, I don't think uh, I, I ever... I, well, I know I'm not. Uh, it wasn't a question. I, I don't think I was ever recruited. How I got to South Dakota State was my uh, high school baseball coach had been a quarterback at South Dakota State, and I was I was I played baseball, football, and basketball. Those were the three sports we had, and and I I was a pretty good pitcher actually, and uh, and uh, and Dean Kester at the time that was my high school coach said, uh, Jim, why don't you come out to South Dakota State with me? Uh, we'll go visit the campus. He said, uh, you can play two sports out there. We were Division Two at that time, uh, the North Central Conference with North Dakota State, North Dakota, and those schools. And uh, and so that's where I went to school. I really never heard from the Gophers. Now, when you went there, you played middle linebacker? Uh, well, like a, lot of, like a lot of high school, especially small-town athletes, most of uh, the athletes in a – in a small town program, probably play linebacker and fullback. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I went out to South Dakota State, I actually uh, ended up playing in the offensive line, and I did play some linebacker. I didn't. I didn't carry the football at all, but I played offensive tackle. I played some offensive guard. I played uh, a couple years at linebacker, and uh, I actually went to Cleveland as a free agent because of my baseball. Uh, playing my baseball coach, knew a scout from uh, from the Cleveland Browns, Bob Nussbaumer, and uh, and uh, they uh, they signed me as a free agent to go to the Cleveland Browns in 1970. So when you went to the Browns, did you think you had a good chance to make the team, or did you figure, let me try this, if not, I could go in basically start you know, a real You know, I was, uh, I was quite intimidated. Uh, I was quite uh, sure that... It was going to be one of those experiences you do. I had been a commissioned second lieutenant. I was supposed to uh, report for active duty in October of 1970. And so I went for uh, the summer just for the experience, I guess, and uh, and uh, to see, uh, you know, I, in fact, I talked to a good friend of mine who's not with us anymore, Gil Gillingham, a great linebacker, a great Guard for the Green Bay Packers at the time was from Little Falls, a town near where I grew up. And I went to talk to Gail and actually was hoping he would help me talk myself out of going. <laughs> and he said, uh, no, he said, there's going to be a strike this year. And he said, uh, you aren't going to embarrass yourself. He said, go out there. He said, the, the veterans aren't going to come to camp. And he said, you, uh, you'll get a good look, and if you can't play with the Browns, maybe somebody else will see it. He said, just take it a day at a time and do the best you can. And uh, he said, what the hell you got to lose? And uh, best advice I ever got. You know, I, I went over there, and, uh, and the Browns had uh, drafted Mike Phipps and 
Uh, Craig Wasinski from Michigan State was my roommate, and Bill Yantra from Purdue, a defensive tackle, and, uh, you know, Kelly was there, and, and, uh, these were all guys I'd been watching on Saturday afternoon, you know, after, uh, on TV. And, uh, it was, it was, um, a pretty humbling thing, and yet, uh, nobody knew who the hell I was, and I really didn't have to prove anything to anybody. So I just took it a day at a time, and, and, uh, went at it as hard as I could, and, uh, got down to the last, Preseason game and Blanton Collier, uh, I was still on the roster, and Blanton Collier called me in and said, uh, "Jimmy, said we think we can play. We we think you can play. Uh, we're gonna put you on our taxi squad. We're gonna pay five hundred dollars a week, which is uh, I went to Cleveland with fifty bucks, and uh, so I was pretty elated. I called my wife and told her what was gonna happen, and and. Uh, he said, now, we, you're going to put you on waivers tonight. He said, you got 24 hours. Any team can pick you up. But he says, I think we'll, uh, you know, this is what's going to happen. And next morning, I get a call going to the office again, and the Dolphins had picked me off of waivers. And uh, so I flew down to Miami. And quite honestly, I didn't even know Miami had a football team. And uh, landed there, and we played the Atlanta Falcons that night. And... Uh, you know the rest worked out pretty well. You get you get to Miami, you get to training camp. Does Don Shula greet you, or how how does all that play out? No, no. I, I actually they were staying out at uh, at, at Durrell, uh at the country club, and uh, that's where they stayed the night before the games. And I came in there, I got picked up at the airport, uh, went to my room, uh, Wayne Moore. Uh, they had just picked him up from the 49ers, uh, who became our great left tackle, offensive tackle. Uh, he was my roommate the first night. We had no idea what the hell was going on. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, again, you, you, you just take it a day at a time. You go where you're supposed to be and you go out on the field. And at that time, uh, I didn't know Don Shula from, from any other coach, really. I had never been exposed to any any of that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we were practicing four times a day. <laughs> and this was the most intense man I'd ever seen. And uh, we had 22 rookies on the team that year. And I was on the taxi squad for about three weeks, and then I got moved on to the roster and uh, uh, just started playing center. Monty Clark was my line coach, and, Monty became, of course, a great friend, and uh, he had played for the Browns, and he he was the key that got me to Miami, and I didn't know this for for quite a few years, but uh, he had uh, played for the Browns for 11 years and had just retired and became a, the coach with Don Shula. It was his first year offensive line coach. And he called up about two weeks before, uh, I got picked off of waivers and talked to a couple of his old buddies that were still playing for the Browns on the offensive line and said, you guys got anybody up there that you think can play? He said, I'm looking for a couple more linemen. And and they told him that uh, that I was a possible prospect that had some, had some upside. And uh, that's how I got down there. So it turned out just like old Gail Gillingham said it would. <laughs> And then your second year, you're playing the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, 
It was quite a whirlwind. I remember the first game, my wife, and I, she was going to drop me off at the stadium, and, of course, that's when the Orange Bowl was still there. And we stopped at a minor league baseball park. I thought that was the Orange Bowl. And uh, <laughs> it didn't look like there was a game going on. So, <laughs> And, of course, there was no GPS or cell phones or anything at that time. So we we uh, stopped at a gas station. So where the hell is the Orange Bowl? And and uh, it, it was quite a it was quite a time. And and uh, Miami had, was was one step from being out of the league. I mean, I, I talked to as I got with the team for several years, and you start finding out the history of the team and how all this went together. I mean, that team was literally one year from being insolvent. And uh, they make uh, Joe Robbie to his. You know, foresight. Uh, they pick up Shula and they pick up Warfield and they and they uh, put this team together and they started winning. And by the time I get there, it's the last preseason game. I mean, there's eighty thousand and ten in the Orange Bowl and they're going nuts. And they hadn't lost a game yet in preseason. And uh, you know, the, it, it just it, it just all came together. It's one of those it's one of those things. I don't know if you can duplicate that. By uh, some formula, I think Don is still uh, obviously a dear friend. But, uh, you know, it was one of the most incredible bunch of people that ever got put together, Uh, whether it was just a stroke of genius or by accident or whatever the hell happened. It was uh, uh, we're still very close. Uh, It was the damnedest group of players I'd ever been around in terms of how hard they worked and how they approached the game, and uh, the coaches were incredibly dedicated people. And it became uh, a very cohesive, well-oiled machine, obviously. And, uh, you know, it it, uh, it accomplished a lot. And then, you know, the World Football League kind of broke our team up before we, re- we probably could have gone a couple more years. But, uh, you know, that was the way things were back then, I I, it's kind of uh, an interesting period of time because my first contract I signed was fourteen thousand dollars. In the year we went undefeated, uh, the first I started and played every play in that season, uh, seventeen games, and my salary that year was twenty six thousand dollars. And uh, you know, to win the Super Bowl was another fifteen. That was a big deal. Now these guys spend that much at dinner at night, don't I think, from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, uh, nowadays, it's like winning the Super Bowl is package change. It, That's a pay it's, cut. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like what going to the Pro Bowl used to be when you, yeah. you could pick up a few thousand dollars. And yeah, the Pro Bowl, I went to six of them, and the winner's share was 2500 and the loser share was 1500 And that was a big deal to win that damn thing because another 2500 bucks was that was a lot of money to me. Well, you weren't going to Hawaii back in those days. It wrote Never did. I, the first year they went to Hawaii, uh, I think, was my eighth season, and I broke my leg off. Now, it certainly didn't hurt Don Shula to come into a situation where he had a quarterback in Bob Greasy and the running backs in Larry Zonka. Yeah. Mercury yeah. Morris. Yeah, it was. It was uh, but, you know, Greasy wasn't. As great as Bob was, and he truly was, he wasn't a physical player like Luck or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. He, if you looked at Bob in his playing days and saw him with his helmet on and the glasses underneath, you'd swear to Christ it was an accountant playing football. But 
you know, he was a student of the game. He he was he was an analyst on the field. He was, uh, and of course, the rules were different. Uh, we ran the ball on an average game. We'd run seventy to seventy-five plays, and forty of them were running plays. Um, and with Zonka, of course, you know, and the offensive line was uh, very methodical, very very well schooled. Uh, the 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 performance of the traps and the and and the plays that we ran were executed with a, with a lot of uh, precision and consistency, much like Green Bay had done. You know, you know, Green Bay Green Bay was going to run the sweep, uh, but you still couldn't stop the damn thing. And and uh, and the Dolphins were just uh, a, a very well oiled machine. We didn't. Uh, you know, the way it wasn't that fancy, but it, I think it was very effective because it was executed. Uh, you know, the perfection of the execution was the goal. Who did you block in that first Super Bowl? Were you against Bob Lilly? Uh, actually, the first Super Bowl when we played the Cowboys, uh, I was on special teams. I didn't start until the next season. We played my first game starting was in the first game I ever played in Arrowhead Stadium. Curly Culp and Buck Buchanan and Willie Lanier and those guys, and then that's the year uh, we went on, of course, to beat the Redskins in that Super Bowl. And uh, then the next year we came back and beat the Vikings. It was baptism under fire with Buck Buchanan, Curly Culp, Bobby Bell, Willie Lanier. <clears throat> oh God, they had. Uh, yeah, it was the first game played in that stadium, and I'll never forget it because it was 100 and oh, 110 degrees on the field. It was the first game of the season. Yeah, I mean, Buck Buchanan was a pretty, pretty imposing figure. You know, I'm, I'm uh, probably six two, and he's six eight. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I got to know a lot of those guys as I played. Curly Culp and I became good friends, and and Curly Culp uh, this year, of course, I inducted into the Hall of Fame and the. Uh, Mike Webster, who's no longer with us, and Mike Webster, the great center for the Steelers, and myself, and and Jack Rudney, and uh, from Kansas City, and a lot of guys. Uh, Curly Culp was the best goddamn nose guard ever played the game, and uh, you know he he was something, and uh, he was an NCAA heavyweight wrestler, uh, and there was a lot of great players. Yeah, Joe Green, obviously, and all those guys. Uh, I remember the first time I lined up and. We were playing the Bears, and Dick Butkus was out there, and I'm looking up, and this is a guy I had I had watched as a kid and, and as a college player, and I'm sitting here saying I, I, I had a hard time believing I was looking at this guy, and uh, I always had a white towel tucked in my pants in the back. Uh, Greasy had a a fear of lining up behind a guard, and he was very attuned to looking down the field, looking at coverages and looking at secondary and and he wanted that towel, uh, so when he'd break the huddle, he he would automatically have a visual as to who the hell the center was. And as silly as that sounds, I can you know that's that was a, a very good thing to do. So and and Butkus pulled that damn towel out of my butt every time, every damn play. He'd pull that towel out and laugh, and uh, he, he was a great player. I mean, there were some great players back then, and they played every play. They didn't come out on nickels and dimes and all that shit. I mean, you're looking at Dick Buckus the whole the whole freaking game, you know. And uh, I, I Nitschke and and all these great players. Uh, it was it was quite the time. 
did Monty Clark have a tough time? I mean, he's, he's got you at center. You got uh, Larry Little. You got Kuchenberg. Uh, well, Monty was Monty was next to Shula, probably the most intense guy I've ever known. And and Monty was uh, a master at at attention to detail and and the psychological part of the game and to visualize the game and to play the game over and over in your head before you actually play the game psycho cybernetics theory and uh you know this whole offensive line had been cut Cooch had played he was uh, drafted by the Eagles he got cut played for the Chicago Owls an amateur team uh came back to the Dolphins Larry Little had been cut Larry uh, Wayne Wayne Moore had been cut. Uh, all these guys had been had been cut, and they end up in, in this team. And um, Monty just kind of, you know, took this philosophy of his, which was attention to de- uh, detail and and the finer points of the game, and make the right step, and get the right position, get your head on the right point, and and then plus with the effort and the and the execution, uh, this became one line that could execute as well as any I've seen since. And and uh, it was a great bunch of guys, uh, Norm Evans. And, um, you know, we, we started to play as a unit. We started to know each other as a unit. It became a, a really close bunch of guys. And uh, and that whole team, our offense, I mean, uh, those guys are like brothers to you. And, and um I mean, we paid our dues. It was a hard-working team. I mean, it. it uh, we put in uh, a lot of time uh, working on that field and working on execution. And uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, I look back and see what uh, it was. Uh, it was quite a quite a journey. They talk about the no-name defense. They could have gave it to no-name offensive line, like you said. Yeah, I think, but you know that was that was the concept of uh, of Shula's was uh, if somebody got hurt, somebody came in and, and like when Greasy the year we went undefeated, which is not talked about very much. I think it was the fifth game of the season. Uh, Bob broke his ankle, and Earl Morrill comes in. Well, Earl's thirty five and ran the forty in about eight flat, <laughs> and and uh, couldn't throw the ball maybe forty yards. And uh, this is five games into the season, and he takes us all the way to the AFC Championship game in Pittsburgh. By the way, we're undefeated, and we got to go on the road and play Pittsburgh at their place to win the AFC Championship because that's the way the rules were then. And um, you know, Earl takes us all that way, and uh, we didn't think anything of it other than, well, Bob is hurt, Earl's our quarterback, and, and Earl, of course, had to respect everybody. I mean, he could run our offense, uh, and everybody respected him, and everybody picked up the, the, the pace. Uh, the defense played harder probably subconsciously. I mean, the offensive line knew that we've got a, an older guy behind us, not as mobile. we got to do better. And our running game, of course, was was still there. And, uh, you know, we go undefeated with our backup quarterback. So who, and, uh, who missed the block on Deacon Jones that got Bob Greasy hurt? Uh, I can't I can't recall <laughs> exactly how it was. I, I think it was a scramble play. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, just one of those things. And It wasn't the center's fault, though. 
I don't recall that, no. <laughs> now, the first time you saw Garo Yaparmin trot onto the field, what, what did you think? Well, for the first few years, I didn't really think too much about it because I, I'm, I'm just worried about my job and worried about what I'm supposed to do. And, and this guy's a kicker. He talked funny. And, uh, but he could kick the ball pretty well. And, uh, you know, I think the closest, uh, Darryl came to death is when we played the, the, uh, the Chiefs in the Super Bowl out in uh, LA. And, uh, and of course we've, we're dominating the game. We're not ahead by much. I think the game ended up 14 to seven, but, uh, you know, he kicks the, the ball, kicks the field goal and it's blocked and he catches it and tries to throw a pass. <laughs> and, uh, they ran it back for a touchdown, uh, which was at the time put us, put them back in the game and there's still some time left on the clock. It was a bit hairy. And, uh, you know, even though we had pretty much had our way with uh, the Redskins that day, uh, they were back in the ball game, so uh, it was. Uh, but Gerald's a great guy. I mean, he. I always felt kickers were a part of our team. They, you know, they certainly didn't take the abuse that the the front line players took. But when it comes out on the field, the game's on the line. I mean, that they they're carrying a lot of load on their shoulders. So I always felt Gerald was a good teammate, and we we uh, we were a very close bunch. What did Shula tell him when he did that? I can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot of new words from Coach Shula. Well, that has to rank as the worst pass ever thrown in Super Bowl history, if not in the entire history of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, well, it, uh, Don is an amazing man, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's, there certainly has been and there will be great coaches in the future. Uh, all of these guys know how to get, it's an old cliche. They, they push players to the point that they didn't think they could go. And, uh, and, and it's really, uh, it's a hard thing to describe. It's, it's, um, he, uh, and he worked as hard as we did that coaching staff. I mean, they, they lived and slept that game just like we did. I, I, during the football season, I never got away from football and this, uh, today the players, you know, uh, and I'm a family, I'm a family man. I've been married going on 45 years. I have four wonderful children. Uh, they're all doing well. And, uh, I remember, um, you know, you didn't take off for the uh, birth of your son. I had two sons born while I was playing football. Uh, one son was born the night we played Oakland in a playoff game. And, um, there was no thought of leaving, you know, while I, my wife was in labor. And, and uh, you know, that might offend some people, but that uh, that didn't exist. The number one thing you did was, was take care of uh, the team, and uh, you take care of the team, that'll take care of your family. And uh, I remember my Don coming in to me uh, before I was even active on the roster. My, I think it was my second year in training camp. And we were playing a scrimmage against the Saints. <clears throat> and he walked in uh, before the game, called me in a little office. He said, Jimmy says, I've, I'm going to tell you now. He said, I just got a call and your father died. 
And he said, uh, after the scrimmage, we'll get you on a plane and we'll fly you back home. <laughs> and I, I thought, Jeez. you know, uh, nowadays, what do they take a week for a, a delivery? And, uh, you know, that just didn't happen back then. And you played for another Hall of Fame coach and Bud Grant. How did he compare yeah. to uh, Don Shula? 180 degrees difference. Uh, both successful. Uh, Don was very much hands-on, uh, in your face, dominated the meetings, uh, in charge of the offensive meeting game film. Uh, Bud sat in the back, ate granola bars, and Jerry Burns did the critiquing and did the film study. And, uh, and um, you know, Bud was just, wasn't the most important thing Bud would always say. You know, he said there's more important things than football. And he was very philosophical about the game. And uh, Don was more, we're going to win or I'll kill you. <laughs> well, it's good to be exposed to, to, to both those perspectives. Otherwise, you, you think that just Well, when I got to Minnesota, yeah, when I got to Minnesota, and I had a good time here. The Vikings were great to me. It's a great organization. It's just a different philosophy. I remember the first game, and I wasn't starting then. I was playing a backup role, and um, we got beat. I forget who it was. We, you know, we we weren't a dominant team by any means in eighty and eighty one. And I was struck by the fact that after a loss, uh, our team comes in and they, they shower and get cleaned up, ready to get back on the bus and fly back home or whatever. And, uh, you know, the boom boxes were on, the music was on, and I'm sitting there. I remember talking to uh, Ron Yerry one day. He's a Hall of Fame tackle, great great guy, good friend of mine. And, and I said, uh, I can't believe this. He says, what's the matter? I said, uh, yeah, we just lost a football game. I said, I didn't smile for three days after that. And it, it just eat the shit out of me, you know. And, and I said, I, you guys, it's like it's no big deal. He said, well, it's just a game. And I said, uh, well, I guess I'm in a, from a culture that did look at it that way, you know. And um, it, it was just a different way of looking at the, at the, at the same occupation. But it, it, it just wasn't uh, something you carried with you outside the locker room in Minnesota, whereas in Miami, uh, I didn't trust that switch off till after the season. I think the mentality's still there now. I mean, with the 72 team being undefeated, the last undefeated team, it's the same competitive fire there. You guys want their record. Well, I always said somebody will break it. I thought uh, the Bears, 85 Bears, I think it was, certainly were the right. team capable. I think the... Uh, uh, Certainly, the Patriots came within a an absolutely astonishing play of doing it, and I think someday it'll happen. But of course, we may be playing more games and more games, and and uh, you know, I, I keep telling you know people ask about that. Well, yeah, but they played two more games than you did. I said, yeah, but you got to remember, uh, back in my day, we played six preseason games, and I think the first four years of my Four or five years of my career, I played every game in the preseason, which would be six games, plus every game of the regular season, which was 14. 
So we didn't look at preseason games like they do today. Did you lose a preseason game that year, or did you go undefeated in the preseason? No, we uh, we were undefeated. I, you know, I can't remember. I think we were undefeated that year, and I remember the first game we lost was the first preseason game the next year against the Vikings, and I remember Bud Grant taking a bow in the middle of the field. <laughs> Everybody says, it's a preseason game, for Christ's sake. But... Uh, you know, I, I know the first year I got down there, they were undefeated in preseason, and we may have been that year, too. <clears throat> but preseason games are a big deal with Don Shula. There was none of this while we won't play the, the veterans for the first two weeks, and we sure as hell won't play them the last week. The first team played every game, pretty not necessarily four quarters, but uh, when the backup quarterback would come in, I would usually play because we wanted to make sure the offensive line was intact to give that guy the best opportunity. And uh, we may, I might step out in preseason at, after my fourth or fifth year of starting. I might not play the fourth quarter, but I played three quarters for damn sure for 10 years. Yeah. Now, nowadays, you, you just, the preseason exists just to make some money and make sure the players are healthy entering the regular season. Well, yeah, I think now we're getting to a mode uh, where if you've got your t- conference tied up, your division tied up, uh, and you've got three games to go, the question becomes, well, how much do we sit our our starters before the playoffs start? And, and there was none of that stuff. <laughs> you know, no. uh, uh, personally, i got a problem with that, and I guess it comes from the fan standpoint. Um, you know, today especially, you're paying a lot of money. And uh, I, I think the last probably crucial thing was the uh, when Peyton Manning was still with the Colts, they decided not to play him uh, and a few players, you know, going into the end of the season. And it probably cost them a shot to go undefeated. And I, it's not a big deal, really. I, I don't think – I think the teams have kind of come to the – it's not a goal of theirs. The goal is to win, is to win the Super Bowl. And, uh, right. And I, I think the, the – we didn't set out to go undefeated and – uh, I remember Kuchenberg and I laying in a hotel in the Waldorf Astoria. We were going to play the Giants last game I ever played in. Uh, maybe it was the Essex house. Anyway, we're going to play the Giants last game I ever played in Yankee Stadium. And we're we're sitting there, we're laying there at night, and and Cooch says, you know, I don't know as I said, I don't know how to say this, but he said, I'm not so sure it's a good thing we win every game in regular season. I says. What are you talking about? He says, "Well, you know, it's an odds thing." He said, "Sooner or later, it's gonna it's gonna bite us," and we talked about that. But yet, once the game starts, that you don't think about that. You know, you go out and you execute the game plan, you play as hard as you can, and you hope you win the game. You hope every, everything turns out in your defense, the offense, special teams, everybody comes together, and you end up winning the game. Uh, we had several games that year we could have lost quite easily. Yeah, Minnesota should have beat us. Uh, the Bills should have beat us. And there's a record nobody talks about, by the way. You guys could look this up. Uh, I think the Dolphins over the Bills for 20 games is still the longest winning streak against a team rivalry in the history of the NFL. I, I never lost to the Buffalo Bills. I still give Joe DeLamalier a hard time about that. And, and, <laughs> 
and they had a couple games. That's when OJ was running wild, you know. And yeah. uh, if they would have, if they would have kept trying to build up his running the yardage, yeah, they could have won the football game. But be as it may, I, I think we beat the Buffalo Bills twenty times in ten years. What was it like? Uh, I, I assume you up, went up in practice against Bonacani. Yeah, yeah, and and I would like to say that the practice habits of the Dolphins were were very hard. Uh, guys worked hard. We didn't practice very long. I remember going out to the Pro Bowl. I had John Madden for for two or three times, and and John would always come up to me. He's a great guy. He'd say, "Jimmy says you guys execute better than any team I've ever seen." He says, "How long do you practice?" I'd say, "An hour and forty five minutes." He'd say. You shit me. I'd say, no. <laughs> now, you got to understand, that's preceded by an hour and 45 minutes of meetings. But Don was very precise in practice. There was absolutely no standing around. An yeah, hour and 45 minutes, you never stopped moving. And the plays he wanted to run were absolutely choreographed or scripted. And I said he knew exactly what he wanted to run. He knew exactly what he wanted to get accomplished. And if you didn't do it right, you still got done in an hour and 45 minutes. You just had another practice that day. And uh, he could not get over that. And when I got up to Minnesota, we'd practice for two hours, two and a half hours, three hours. And I would notice that when you get one of these marathon practices going, if the players don't know exactly how long they're going to be on the field, they save themselves. And I ended up standing around here for 10 minutes and standing around here for 15 minutes. Our practices went boom, 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 boom. You went from this drill to this drill to this drill, team drill, individual, uh, team passing, team defense, and and practice was over. You run your gassers. And and I think that was a very critical part of of our organization. When you went in the Hall of Fame, how did you feel? Well, I, I think I don't know if you can explain that. I, I I totally was overwhelmed to be amongst those great players and to be a part of that, to be considered part of that is hard to describe and uh uh you know, it's it's just an overwhelming feeling. I uh it's and they're they're tremendous people. I remember talking to Chuck Chuck Bednarik and I always found the the real the the pre 70 guys, and of course now I'm an old, old, old guy. I remember talking to Chuck Bednarik, and I'm a real, I'm a big reader and a big history buff, and real, pretty familiar with a lot of World War II things. And you know, Bednarik was a bomber pilot and tough old bugger, and and you listen to those guys talk about their day, and they played for 3,500 bucks, and and. Uh, it leaves you in a in a sense of what you are actually a part of, and I'm not so sure today in the high tech uh, Tweety world we live in that we're not losing that. Um, I think it's easy to lose that, <clears throat> and I think uh, those guys are are incredible uh, what they went through and what they what they played for with nothing and get the crap beat out of them. And, uh, you know, they, they formed the game. I, I still have CDs. I go back and watch, uh, 
Monday night football. Every once in a while, we played um, St. Louis with Conrad Dobler, and <laughs> and those guys were playing, and it's like watching a home movie compared to today. You know, the graphics yeah. were ridiculous, and uh, no TV timeouts, and uh, one camera angle, maybe two, uh, no slow mos. Uh, pretty remarkable what what has occurred now. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's it's just hard to see where this game has gone and and what a big production. I remember the first couple Super Bowls I played in the halftime entertainment was a high school marching band. You know, now they uh, God knows what you see at halftime now. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> of technological advances. If medical technology back in the day when you got hurt existed that is in place today, you think you could have played longer? Oh, it's possible. I still have bolts in my right leg. I uh, I had several, half a dozen or so operations on my knees. Uh, and uh, I remember being a huddle. True story, uh, and, and we. I want to make one thing clear. I'm, I'm not a big. I'm not on the bandwagon that the NFL sat in their NFL offices in New York and and were sitting there conspiring. This was before email, so they'd have been taking notes and said, "You know what? We ain't going to tell these stupid bastards that this game is dangerous. You know, we're not going to tell them, and uh, we'll hide it from them." That didn't happen. Uh, you know, I think every team had their own way of dealing with medical situations. Uh, we had team physicians run around. You have a hit pointer so bad you couldn't squat down. And if you wanted to get a shot, you could get a shot. I remember I remember we were playing the Steelers one night on Monday night. We got done with the play in the first quarter, and, and Cooch couldn't get up, got in the huddle. He said, I think I broke my ankle. They get him off the field. <clears throat> and he came back in the second quarter and played the rest of the game. <laughs> and he did. He had broke his ankle in like six places. Six bones were broke. And um, but you know what? I uh, I could have said I can't go. Uh, that wasn't that wasn't in the gene pool at that time. And we didn't think about God. You know, if I if I go out there and play, I might shorten my career. Uh, didn't cross my mind ever. Uh, the true story, I broke my ankle. Uh, I think it was Mike Kadish fell out of my leg. We were playing the Packers. I was blocking back on a trap play inside. <clears throat> it, was, it, might, it might have been Mike McCoy. Anyway, he falls on my right leg. And I know something's broke. I go down. I hadn't been injured really other than torn cartilage and stuff for a few years. I'd always get surgery in the off season, and uh, anyway, I got I know something's broke, and so I get off the field. They go an X-ray. Yep, the top of my tibia is broke off, uh, and uh, so I look at Virgin. We got six games to the playoffs. I said, Well, what are we gonna do so I can get out there and play? He said, Well, I don't know. He says I got an idea. Uh, he says I'll meet you at the hospital tomorrow. We'll get down there. He says, I think I can screw that piece on back on there. I said, well, let's do it. So I go into surgery to put uh, four screws on the on the shirt off the top of the tibia where it rounds off. 
I sheared that piece off. It, it, so he screws that back on and uh, casts it up. I wait five weeks to take the cast off, work out a little bit, go back out, practice for the week, and it, it, it wasn't going to work. And uh, go back in the x-rays, the screws would come out. And they popped out about an eighth of an inch under the skin. He says, well, you're done. We got two choices. One, he says, we can go back in, tighten them up with a screwdriver. Or he says, I've never done this before, but I think I can fix it externally. I says, what do you got in mind? He says, well, he says, we'll take a, a piece of wood, say, and uh, we'll just pound them back in. <laughs> this is a true story. So I go into Mercy Hospital down in Miami, and I'm in there, and uh, get on the operating table. He brings in the x-ray so he can see exactly where the screws are. This is a, a two-by-two piece of oak, about six inches long, and a ball-peen hammer, and pounds those screws back in. And he pounded them so hard enough that it broke the incision open from five weeks earlier. And I still got that block of wood. <laughs> Did he charge you, know? you for that operation? Oh, I imagine he charged the dolphins. <laughs> I'll tell and you so what. So then I said, well, here's the deal. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can't play that any, anymore. So this, this season's like, make sure you put the cast on so I can drive my pickup back to Minnesota in the off-season. So he made the cast so I could... When I sat on the seat, it was at the right angle for my accelerator. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, just shit that we did that these guys would pass out today. I mean, they'd, they'd freaking pass out. She was scared. But me. did I, I think I at any time I was being lied to that you know, I didn't know it was dangerous shit? No. That's the crazy. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. Shula talked to Elliot and I, and he's intense to this day. If we didn't have the next question ready within two seconds, he goes, what's wrong with you guys? Don't you have a question ready? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, there was no – he is the most intense man I've ever been around. I don't care what it was he was doing. If he was killing dandelions in the yard, he'd kill the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> How did him and Mercury Morris get along? You know, they got along because Merck, despite his he very high motor, you know, talk, 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 and – but, but Merck, in his heart, is a great player and, and was a great asset to us and and uh, a little more difficult, maybe, but never out of the, never at a point of being a problem. And, uh, you know, and that was with our whole team. And I, I don't think there was – we didn't have any emotional issues. The team would deal with that. If Merck started getting a little bit too cocky, you know, we we would deal with that. The coaches the coaches didn't have to, and and Merck knew uh, his place, and and Zonka knew his place, and we all knew our place, and and we were one part of of that machine, and and certainly one part wasn't bigger than the machine, and I don't think any of us ever felt that. That does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I would like to thank our guests, Pilar Laskra, Jim Langer, and I'd also like to thank our executive producer, Dave Olson, who's a happy man because he had many of the players that Pilar mentioned in fantasy football. 
So thank you for listening, viewing, however you're ingesting this show, and tune in again next week.